Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this on Sunday, February 2nd, 2020, Super Bowl Sunday. Um, not much of a sports fan, Drew. Uh, when I attend Super Bowl parties, I'm typically there for the snacks and to watch the commercials. Uh, are, are you, you know, excited Same. about <laughs> no, no, I'm I am the same. I oh, I am yeah. purely there for the commercials and to to chit chat during the the game. Uh, I remember I, I was I was babysitting a kid one time mm-hmm. when I was in high school, and I, their parents subscribed to Vanity Fair, and so at the mm-hmm. time none of this was online, so I was just reading back issues of Vanity Fair. And the kid I was babysitting for goes, "The Super Bowl is on, and you're reading Vanity Fair," and that was so that that's where more of my head's at during the Super Bowl. You know, uh, well, okay. Unless okay. it's a unless it's a Disney Millennium Celebration halftime show or the uh, Indiana Jones Adventure half halftime show, then oh, I'm cool. then I'm plugged cool in, classics. Jim. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, all right. So, uh, as far as I know, in regard to animation or Disney, uh, the only things uh, that are kind of on the horizon come out of this one. Uh, we've got that Rick and Morty Pringles ad, which supposedly they've they've actually sent a pickle rick flavored can of pringles out into the world so uh, did you ever see that episode oh of course uh, jim that, that that was classic we never talked about this new season did you did you get a kick out of this i did i did though um i still love the the way they you know uh, what was it? it not the season you deserve but what we can deliver you know just right. what, what was it a total of four episodes five yeah. episodes of the 75, I think, they're, they're contracted to do. So, boy, they're going to breadcrumb those out. Yeah, I was uh, very into uh, this. I was into the Snake Planet episode. <laughs> that was pretty great. <laughs> that, that, yeah, I have to admit, you know, from a, a time travel joke's point of view, that was a pretty good episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've also got the Mulan trailer. Okay, so we're roughly seven and a half weeks out now from when uh, the live-action Mulan drops in theaters. And what's kind of interesting to me is that you, of course, saw the news that broke since we last recorded about uh, we now officially have a Bambi live-action yep. uh, coming. Well, uh, I'm going to put live-action in quotes on that one, but yeah. yeah well, once again, we're you know we're going to have the John Favreau conversation. So, mm-hmm. so again, it's photorealistic, done in CG, but not live-action. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, after months of speculation, we finally have Robert Zemeckis uh, signing on to not only direct, but co-write Disney's Pinocchio. I guess in this case, we can say it's, it's, it's going to be live action because I guess only Pinocchio and a few characters are going to be done in CG. Well, I don't know if you saw Welcome to Marwin, Jim. He's, <laughs> he's using that live action term pretty loosely these days. Let me just say that. Uh... That movie was a mess, but it had some really insane uses of performance capture uh, mm-hmm. stuff. So I'll be very interested. We should do a show actually later about his time at Disney with the Image Movers Digital. I, t- I totally agree. I mean, that, you know, this past December, they once again ran both the Polar Express, which I think of his, you know, it, it's kind of ironic. Polar Express is done early, early performance capture. But I think Tom Hanks manages to cover a variety of sins in in that thing because he's such a skilled performer and so likable and that sort of thing. Whereas A Christmas Carol, just, I just find now that's just tough to watch. You know, and again, this classic Charles Dickens story made by somebody who doesn't trust the material. Mm-hmm. During the last third of it, where he's uh, Scrooge is being chased around London by the ghost of Christmas past, and and gets miniaturized down to like the size of a a, a mouse, and is riding an icicle, and it's just this frantic action. Oh scene. yeah, and yeah. it's just sort of like really, this is how we do Scrooge, or how you do Scrooge, you know, yes. just. Um, Looking back to Tom Hanks, remember, what was it, uh, November of 2018 uh, was the first time that sort of bubbled up that Tom Hanks was being considered or, or being approached for Geppetto in a live-action version of Pinocchio. And the inter- interesting thing for me 
Uh, and you're the one who did that wonderful interview with Sean Bailey out, mm-hmm. about the whole live action Disney program. But Pinocchio first bubbled up as a, a, a live action project in 2015. And remember that the first film really of the series, Cinderella, uh, arrived in theaters in March of that year. So, you know, when that went on to make, what, $500 million plus worldwide, and Disney was like, whoa, this is a franchise. That was one of the very first titles under consideration. And yet here we are now, you know, coming up and almost five years later, and they're just now sort of finding a way in. Yeah. Uh, and I got to say, uh, you know, if I were... Disney, I would definitely be looking over my shoulder at Guillermo del Toro's stop-motion Pinocchio because that still supposedly has a delivery date of 2021. Yeah, I can't so, wait for that. No, I agree. I agree. But it's just sort of like, okay, so with that coming, uh, you know, what, even with Tom Hanks, what do you do with, with Pinocchio to, right. to make it special now? Yeah. Um, anyway, what else did we oh, – oh, you wanted to talk about – uh, Emma Watts leaving 20th century. Yeah, I think that's a huge miss. Uh, mm-hmm. She has put into production so many, so many movies, and it's really interesting if you go back and look at the coverage of uh, Ford versus Ferrari, and mm-hmm. how James Mangold has said that she was the only reason that the movie got made, and now it's this big awards heavy hitter. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I mean, I brought it up to you in terms of, like, what do you think this will affect Blue Sky and additional Fox animated titles? Sorry, not Fox. 20th century animated titles. Yeah, in fact, I'm glad you did that. In fact, it kind, of, it kind of really ticks me off that Disney did this in January where we're all trying to educate ourselves to say 2020 versus 2019. So to, to drop the, oh, by the way... 20th Century Fox is now 20th Century, and Fox Searchlight is now Searchlight. It's just sort of like, I, I can only handle so much change. If, if you could have done this in February, March, I might be on board. Yeah, but, you know, you it's know. funny that I, I saw uh, Downhill last week mm-hmm. and did the junket, and the Searchlight logo is already new and wow. foxless. Yeah. Wow. I just, I'm amazed that they can move that fast. But, but yeah. yeah, I, I mean... I, you know, face it, Emma has been a supporter of, of animation at, at Fox. And again, 22 years she's been on the job. And that was a lot of the, the very crucial period in, in Blue Sky's history. And so for her to walk out the door, especially on the heels of what just happened with Spies in Disguise, you know, mm-hmm. uh, again, I don't mean to to hit people when they're down. But as we're recording this, Drew, this film has only grossed $63.5 million in North America, 93.7 overseas for a worldwide gross to date of $157.2 million, which when you it cost $111 million, and that's what they'll admit to, yeah. um, versus what was also additionally spent on promotion, uh, not a not a good thing to happen. Now, now, mind you, to be fair, uh, there certainly is a place where Fox Animation stuff can go these days, and and that's Disney Plus. In fact, just last night, I was looking for for something to watch on Disney Plus, and eventually settled on Treasure of Mantacube, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. You you ever seen this thing? Or? I watched it the la- I remember texting you because it was it was on one of the last TCM Disney nights. Which mm-hmm. I'm not. Are they still doing that anymore? Do we know? I I don't think so. I okay. think you know again that's Disney Plus has sort of changed the the whole landscape there, and there are other places that the Disney Library can go. And to be honest, the one of the only reasons I watch this is that I've heard forever that. This was shot, one of the very first films shot at Walt Disney World. In fact, I guess uh, when you get to like the final third of the film, when they finally made it to the the Florida Keys, there's a scene where they're sort of loading up the boat to leave, and that's them on the dock at Discovery Island right. out in Bay Lake. And then I guess there's a, a couple of post-hurricane scenes that actually shot on the shoreline of Bay Lake. So, but again, I'm I'm going through the entire list looking for something to look at. It was fascinating to see that there were three different titles from Fox Animation, you know, and one is a gimme, you know, 
the Simpsons movie from July of 2007. I mean, given how hard Disney Plus has leaned into the Simpsons, that makes perfect sense. But um, the other ones, uh, the two were kind of intriguing. One was Thumbelina, uh, Mm -hmm. the Don Bluth a directed thing from March of 94. And I, I get it, you know, sort of a princess. And, and, and in fact, isn't she voiced by Jody Benson? The, the yeah. voice of Little Mermaid? Um, okay. And then, then there's an Ice Age film, but, but not the one you'd expect. It's actually a holiday special. The Ice Age, The Great Eggscapade from March of 2016. Um, How did I miss that one, Jim? I I did. <laughs> and the weird part of it is, is if you read the description, it's actually sort of you know it, it follows directly the fourth Ice Age movie. Is that the one? What is it? Collision Course or Continental it's, it's, Drift or I, I, they all became yeah yeah yeah. Um, but I don't know. It just it was kind of intriguing to me that that you know those three were in there, and I don't know if they're. They're trial balloons and, you know, Disney's gathering numbers about, you know, and whether or not they're going to be bringing other ones in there. But um, it's probably just some licensing deal is what I would imagine. But who knows? Yeah. Could be. But speaking of streaming services, we also had uh, Randy Frewer. He's the, the head of Hulu who just yesterday it was revealed that he'll be stepping away from that streaming service because Disney's supposedly bringing more and more of the control of this direct-to-consumer business operation in-house. And what's always interesting about a moment like that is you, when these sorts of things happening is when you see people's pet projects dies. And I think it was this time last year, you and I were talking about the offenders that, mm-hmm. um, that Marvel television animation project that was supposed to bring together Modoc and Hitmonkey and Tigra, Dazzler and Howard the Duck. Right. And well, I guess the good news is that Modoc uh, has actually gone forward. And by the way, for, for those of you following along at home, uh, Modoc stands for mental organism designed only for killing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's kind of a floating head. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and and evidently that series, along with Hitmonkey, they're going forward at Hulu. But uh, as for the Tigra and Dazzler series, as well as the Howard the Duck show, uh, those are dead in the water. And uh, I don't know if you saw the the breakdown for the Modoc show, but well, first of all, they've got Patton Oswalt voicing the title character. That which, makes which sense. I, yeah, which I love. Yeah. Uh, but the the breakdown for the show is that a megalomaniacal supervillain has long pursued his dream of one day conquering the world. But after years of setbacks and failures fighting Earth's mightiest heroes, uh, Modoc has run his evil organization AIM into the ground. And he's been ousted as AIM's leader. And he's, so he he's now dealing also with his crumbling marriage and his family life. And so... The mental organism designed only for killing now confronts his greatest challenge, which is a midlife crisis. And again, I just I I love if that's the take. Yeah, on that's Moda. pretty great. That's pretty that's, great. Yeah, particularly for patent. Yeah. And uh, the best part is evidently they've got Wendy McKellen Covey uh, from the Goldbergs and Reno Nine One One is basically playing Modoc's nemesis at the office. Perfect. Uh, Perfect. What is it? Monica Rappaccini. So, I, I again that 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 one I'm very much looking forward to. Pivoting now from from television back to film. Do you have any clue at this point which way the Academy Awards are going to go for best feature? No, it seems completely wide open at this point. Don't you yeah. think? Well, I mean, think about it. what is it? Missing Link took home the Golden Globe for best animated feature. Toy Story 4 took home a Critics' Choice Award. How to Train Your Dragon, Hidden World, the National Board of Reviews Award for Best Animated Feature. And then then we have Claws. I mean, literally, what is it? It took home seven Annie's, including Best Animated Feature. And, and, and Frozen 2 has been skunked in so many different directions at this point. I mean, yeah. I mean, mind you, they they have their giant pile of money to keep them warm. But... I was going to say, Jim, we have to think about Jeffrey Katzenberg and his Bank of America award, you know, <laughs> which which Frozen 2 has handily 
one. Yeah. Oh well, well yeah. there we go. Yeah. So, I but, mean, I, I, yeah. any other year, I would say that Frozen Two at least has a lock on the best song uh, with Into the Unknown, but. Uh, we've got that Elton John, Bernie Taupin collaborating yeah. on a brand new song for Rocket Man, and and they're campaigning hard. Did you hear that story about how they invited all ninety members of the HFPA to the to Elton John's house? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. So. Yeah, but I like that you you know you you were you have in your notes about Hair Love, and did you see that it's back in it's in theaters this weekend with uh, Jumanji Two. Is it really? Yeah. Oh. So if you go see Jumanji 2, you'll actually see it theatrically for the next um, week. I'm assuming up until the Oscars. So Okay. that That's great to hear. I yeah. Mean, yeah. There is a lock for something in the animation sphere. I feel like uh, Hair Love of the, uh, the produced by at Studios uh, projects it has the best chance. And, and I say that with some regret because I really do like the Pixar Spark Short uh, Kit Bull. Love Kimball, uh, yeah. You know, but uh, but yeah, I just feel like it's probably the right right short at the right time here, love. But we were talking about Frozen 2 and, and Saturday Night Live just last night did a particularly brutal sketch about this most recent Walt Disney Animation Studios production where it's, the what, they changed the words of <laughs> Let It Go to We All Know, which uh, evidently a song about Elsa's sexuality. And now, well, you'll appreciate you... you'll appreciate this, Jim. That I was what I I talked to the voice of Honey Marin, who is a mm-hmm. lovely young woman who was in Happy Death Day and and other mm-hmm. things. And I said, you know, as I was walking out, I said, you know, the rumors about these about Honey Marin being you know Elsa's girlfriend. And she said, mm-hmm. Oh, are you kidding me? They tag me in every post, and I am living for it. And I thought, <laughs> I thought that was a great response to that. So yes, we do all know. We okay, all now, know, now, yeah. Speaking of which, again, you were just at the Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment Junkers for Frozen 2. Yes. Face it, this is to hammer home the idea that, what, this Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee movie will be available for downloading digitally on February 11th and available for purchase on February 25th on mm-hmm. DVD and Blu-ray. But did we learn anything new about this Walt Disney Animation Studios production while we were Back in the Roy Disney building? Uh, well, you know, we, we saw some deleted scenes, which mm-hmm. were very nice, including an early uh, musical number mm-hmm. with Anna and Kristoff, where th- at the end of the song, she proposes to him, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that was cut. And then mm-hmm. it was sort of about how he kind of fumbles around and can't quite get it together. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is in the deleted scenes, they aren't, they aren't the scenes that you think, but there are kind of like vestiges of things that used to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, a moment where, yes, the the castle was wiped out at the end of the movie, by the way. No! Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Which I thought, I thought that would have been a much better ending. To me, it's almost like Thor Ragnarok, where it's like, the, it has to be destroyed Mm-hmm. If you're gonna if you're gonna build the conceit that this kingdom was founded on colonialism and mm-hmm. you know et cetera et cetera, you kind of gotta wipe it out, start start anew, you know. So, speaking of which, I think it was the first, the initial set of junkets for the theatrical release that Chris and Jennifer did allude to the fact that I guess very very early on there was a definitive villain. For Frozen 2, you know, not just the notion of this was something that our grandfather did, so we're very much removed from what happened, but an actual villain. Has anybody ever talked to you about that? Or No, but again, you have to kind of sift through these deleted scenes because there's a reference to a character who mm-hmm. had survived the initial massacre at the be- decades ago who is mm-hmm. now living in Arendelle. And I think that could have been potentially the villain character. Oh. Apparently he mutated into the Sterling K. Brown character, mm-hmm. um, Matthias, who is a good guy, obviously, mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. But that was the only hat tip I saw. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Hmm. This is where it was going at one point. So yeah, I, I cannot believe that we've got two movies in and have no, have not seen a villain. And I, 
I am desperate for a good old-fashioned Disney villain, Jim. Yeah. We need one. Where is Dr. Facilier? God. <laughs> <laughs> I want a song. I want the whole thing. You know, it's like. Well, speaking of films that are told in different sort of way, when, when we get back, again, Drew had a very, very busy week this past week and made it up to Emeryville to talk with the folks about Onward. Now, before we get started here, I guess I have to stress that, yes, you went up to Emeryville, you talked with the folks about Onward. In fact, of course, you've written the Art of Onward book, which mm-hmm. we're, what, now like four weeks out from that hitting. Yeah, I hope everybody right? has their copy pre-ordered. Okay. Yeah. But again, at the same time, at least for now, a lot of this info is embargoed, right? So we're we're kind of handcuffed as to what we can talk about. Um, So uh, how about we talk about instead the whole Vanicorn situation? Yeah, I think this actually broke while I was there (laughs) because I didn't know about this until you told me about it. I mean, this is absolutely insane, but... If you want to recap it, Jim, please. This is nuts. Okay, so, again, i got to wonder from the PR team's point of view, this is exactly what you don't want to have happen during a press junket for something like this to come out of left field. But for those of you who don't know, this this woman called Sweet Cicely Donner, and evidently she has a very strong social media presence, and uh, basically her gimmick is that she sees unicorns everywhere. And so she posts pictures or in imagery of where she'll see elements come together and form the classic unicorn shape. And um, what evidently happened is this past week she filed suit against Pixar and Onward producer Corey Ray for supposedly stealing the idea of Guinevere, which is the van that Ian Barley drive yeah. as they go off on their quest to, again, we're not going to get into story points on this thing. But, you know, if you've seen Guinevere, it's a, a classic van with a, now it's it's a Pegasus that's painted on the side of it, right? A flying yeah. horse. Yeah, they, they kind of, the unicorns and Onward have wings. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's technically a, a unicorn, but it has wings. And so, okay. yeah. Okay. So uh, what happened is that years ago, Sicily had this van created with a painting of a unicorn on the side of it. And Pixar somehow becomes aware of this. I guess there was a story that ran about her and her icy unicorns everywhere, a website, that sort of thing. And what they basically did is they rented the van for a friends and family event that was held at Pixar in September of 2018 up on the Emeryville campus. But it's not till June of 2019 that uh, Sweet Sicily learns that there's a van that looks like hers in Onward. She complains about it online via Instagram. And the producer of Onward, Corey Ray, reaches out and tries to apologize. And long story short, this all snowballs into a lawsuit. Now, where this all gets a little dicey is, and I want to say it's it's Cartoon Brew that, that picked up this part of the story. But basically, the unicorn that's on Danner's van is in and of itself inspired by, or to be less kind, a direct lift of somebody else's artwork. Uh, there's this woman, Charlene Linkskoff Oroso, who uh, did a painting called... Moonlight Magic. And the thing is that when her van was being painted with, you know, the, the unicorn on the side, Miss Danner put up a photo as part of her I See Unicorns Everywhere Instagram account. And But the thing is, you can see that the artist who's airbrushing the unicorn on the side of her van is actually using Links of Oroso's painting as reference and inspiration. I mean, he's literally got it taped to the side of the van while he's working on the big painting of the the unicorn. And so I just, I don't see how this particular image is going to, to, I mean, again, I can't make any predictions about how it's going to impact her lawsuit against Pixar and Corey Ray, but I'm, I'm thinking given how Disney's lawyers are, this probably isn't going to help. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're going to sue for every unicorn on the side of a van, then Mm -hmm. just lock up the 1970s in general. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) good Lord. 
<laughs> but, yeah. you know, it, it's really interesting because of how much merchandise, too, is based on this van. And she wanted a cut of all that. You know, they're, they're selling mugs in the shape of the van at the parks. And there's mm-hmm. toys and all this stuff. So... Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting going forward. And in fact, I think we talked previously about um face it, I think Disney and Pixar got burned by the whole Dies de Morto thing that happened with Coco. And you just got to wonder if in this one situation that because they got um there was all that negative publicity because they were so aggressive about trying to license or copyright things. You wonder if in, in this one situation, it's like, well, we don't need to do that. And it's like, oh, yes, we did. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, it'll just be interesting to see how this all plays out, um, you know, between now and when the film gets released. Now, okay, uh, after you got back from Emeryville, you were at Disneyland for two nighttime events is that is that correct yeah this was what this is what i call realizing you're in your late 30s uh uh having no recovery from either one and just having the week be a tremendous slog because of it um uh, uh, yes on our... tuesday night i attended minnie's uh moonlight madness which mm-hmm. is adorable and you would appreciate that the theme this year was built around a Paul Ruddish um, Mickey Mouse short from 2016 that featured oh. that featured a mini detective story. So oh, that's right. yeah, okay. where she's looking cool, cool. for the sock the sock bandit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we did that. We'll see mm-hmm. how we did. I think we had a really strong uh, team. We were placed 13th last year, so I hope we're in the top 10 this year. And then uh, the next night, I went back to Disneyland, which, as you know, Jim. Mm-hmm. Dri- driving in traffic from Los Angeles to Anaheim on a weekday is oh. a real a real thrill, yeah. and uh, so we did uh, Disneyland After Dark '80s night, and I and love I had a great time at both. Well, you you were saying particularly you were impressed by what they did Videopolis wise. That in yes. fact, I, I based on on what you were saying, I went out and set out uh, a couple of the videos you know that folks took at the event. And you're right. I mean, between the choreography and the costume, and and the fact that they were t- able to take the Mickey's magical map stage and and really do a great job mm-hmm. of repurposing it, but. Um, there was a lot yeah, of that, there was a lot of homosexual dancing though, Jim, on the floor, which I know was <laughs> was outlawed back in the day. Well, again, Drew's referring to that was the the first summer the Videopolis was up and running, and I, I was that eighty five, right? Yeah, eighty five. Um, yep. Okay. That, that it, remember, that, Videopolis was the hundred day miracle because yeah. it got out of the ground in hundred days. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. And what was was fascinating is that. So much of the sound equipment, the lighting equipment, evidently Disney had bought straight from the '84 Summer Olympics in yep. LA. That, uh, but yeah, the the headline that came out of that event was, I guess, the first summer there was two gentlemen who were dancing together at, at Videopolis, and Disney security broke it up, and it was. One of the first times where Michael Eisner was like, okay, we're the modern Disney company. And it's like, really? You're going to do that? No. From here on in, anybody can dance with anybody else. Yeah. Just, just... Well, what was so funny about the lawsuit afterwards was that Disney lost, but they said this only applies to those two gay guys. Anybody else? No. <laughs> Still hard line. No <sighs> women and women dancing. No men and men dancing. So... <sighs> Damn. Jim, you and I's conga line would have been shut yeah, down immediately. Damn. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now, but I guess what impressed you was what they made references to the monster size, not only the 1982 album, but also the 1983. In fact, this was one of the first series to debut on the Disney Channel when it went live. Yeah. Uh, you there know, was monster size. There was totally mini. Yeah, there was DTV was big was big on that night, but uh, yeah, and you'll you'll really love that there was a photo op that was presented by Disney Plus, mm-hmm. and it was and it was these giant like old school cassette tapes that you could stand in front of, and the ones that were on Disney Plus had a giant sticker that said "Now on Disney Plus," so it was mm-hmm. it was like Splash and then Black Cauldron now on Disney Plus. You know, it was it was cute. Well, it was cute. Now, can, can you talk about the one particularly long line of the night 
that what was that that was the roger rabbit yeah he was that line was huge he was over he was stationed in front of the toontown Mm -hmm. gates because they didn't i thought it was kind of stupid they didn't leave toontown open so that you could enjoy all the things that were originated in the 80s but um you know he was out there and the line jim was huge and i was so disappointed because I had my Roger Rabbit is Innocent original mm-hmm. vintage button that mm-hmm. was a promotional piece for the movie, and I wanted him to see it, but sadly, I did not get my chance because I just could not wait in that line, and I would have probably fallen asleep standing up. <laughs> and I, what I guess confuses me here is, face it, you know, what was it, summer of 88 was when, again, I mean, just like Videopolis, the Mickey's Starland Mm-hmm. Uh, or Mickey, uh, excuse me, Mickey Birthday Land. Yeah. Uh, that was built out in, uh, built in the Magic Kingdom. Same thing. It was one of these things where literally they turned the key and had it up out of the ground in, I want to say, three months. Uh, but face it, one of the things that that quickie mini land did right was that, you know, there was the opportunity to meet Mickey. But what they did uh, was they set up the Mickey's dressing room thing in such a way that there were at least three Mickeys at any one time right. that they could move guests to. So the line would really move because there were multiple Mickeys. And it's just sort of like, given that this is something that Disney learned how to do in the 80s, you would think, and you know there are multiple Roger outfits sitting somewhere backstage. Yes. You know, you couldn't do the same thing. You I know. Well, it was it was really funny because the '80s was not the greatest decade for Disney. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would argue it's the most important because of, of Eisner and and Wells mm-hmm. being inserted at the head of the company. But it was really funny. They actually had the second floor of the old Carousel Building open, mm-hmm. and it was kind of a makeshift exhibit for Tron memorabilia. So oh. you'd sort of you'd walk through, and there was kind of a cheesy photo op, and you'd see like all these props and costumes that were just like. They're, they're decaying literally before your eyes and they just kind of look like shriveled, you know, pieces of raisin. Um, but, you know, it was really funny to see them trying to get a lot of excitement out of a period of the company that maybe was not the most exciting. Um, well, and, and it's so interesting you bring up Michael Eisner because the last eight episodes of BoJack Horseman uh, debuted on Friday and I want to say it's the third to the last episode actually jumps back in time to the mid-1980s. And it's when the BoJack Horseman, uh, the horse in a round show, I guess is supposedly part of ABC's TGIF lineup. And they, in the middle of the show, they start talking about Michael Eisner. You know, the effect of, well, you know, Michael Eisner seems like a nice guy. And, you know, but he, he wants this to be handled in a certain way. And and you and I both know what's what's interesting about that is that Eisner uh, uh, Tarante is that the name of the company? The, yeah, the, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's Eisner's production company that makes BoJack Horseman, which again is supposedly riffs on Bob Saget. Or I mean, I, I guess that's the the understanding that BoJack is sort of a riff on Bob Saget's character from um, Full House. Full House, yeah, yeah. Now, mind you, you were st- you were starting to watch BoJack, right? You know, yes, the, I know. I need to I need to catch up. So, no spoilers, Jim. But okay, did well, you love it? I, you know, it's one of the interesting things. <sighs> Depending on whether or not you find the way that that, and this is the the final season, this is the series finale. And by the way, folks, it wasn't because Raphael Bob's Waxberg wanted to shut down the show. It was Netflix that decided that after six seasons, this is enough. Um, but they did end the show. Uh, and I guess it comes down to, how do you feel about ambiguity? You know, you, know, you, know, you can take it or leave it. Uh, you know, and that's, <laughs> that's really what this show finale was, was about. Because, Again, I think we've talked on the previous show that that Bojack is a a recovering addict who has laid waste to the world around him. But, you know, as the beginning of season six, he had gone into rehab and he was he was trying to sort of turn his life around. And these last eight episodes sort of covered that. Um, But it's for me, what's what's kind of interesting is that 
just because, again, you, you've come out of rehab and you're, you're doing what you're supposed to, you're going to the meetings and you're reaching out to folks and apologizing for your actions and trying to make amends, doesn't necessarily wipe clean everything that you've done. And, and that's what's really interesting about these particular episodes, that there are consequences for the way Bojack has behaved for roughly the last 25, 30 years. And it was just interesting that this is the story that this animated series is telling at the exact same time that L.A. is trying to wrap its head around the whole Kobe Bryant tragedy. Right. Uh, and for me, it was just sort of fascinating to watch um, the reactions of the press when people would bring up the stories about what happened in, in 2003 when, when Kobe was accused of assault. Uh, and this, uh, this period that went, what I want to say to 2004 is when they finally, I guess it was 15 months after the fact that they, they, they dropped the charges and then almost immediately there was a civil trial. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and, and that's, for me, that that's the fascinating part. You know, this is a guy who did his entire 20 year career in the NBA at the Lakers. And so if you're a sports fan, especially a sports fan in LA, you know, Kobe's your guy, yeah. you know? Um, but at the same time, it, it's hard, you know, that, and there's a lot of folks who frankly, you know, aren't willing to overlook what happened in 2003 that, yeah, it was settled out of court, but it, it did obviously have a, a knock on his reputation. And, and I think you and I were talking about how, for example, when, Kobe and, and Glenn Keane were making Deer Basketball and, you know, the number of folks in the industry who were just not willing to overlook, you know, what happened in 2003. Oh, yeah. They kicked him off of the, the jury of the Animationist Film Festival here in L.A. They were petitioning that he not be able to join the Academy. I mean, it was really interesting because the animation community kept, you know, the kind of the light of this these allegations on a lot longer than most people, which is clearly evident by the amount of goodwill that is flowing out of the city of Los Angeles now. I mean, mm -hmm. literally buses driving around town say R.I.P. Kobe. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it's crazy. It's like the yeah. king The king has died. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you look, I, there was a great Daily Beast article that was pu published around the time of his retirement in 2017 mm -hmm. that kind of laid out the entire situation which is really it's pretty shocking and mm -hmm. i suggest people look at it just to just to get some context as to where where the the other side of this uh sort of uh sentiment is coming from but yeah it's it's a pretty it's a it's a hard thing to kind of grapple with especially after what is obviously a huge tragedy and his daughter dying and all of that oh no stuff. no no very very much so and in fact you know it, for me i can't help but, for example, look at the parallels between, say, Kobe Bryant and John Lasseter. I mean, yeah. think about it. You know, both huge figures in their chosen field, lauded for their accomplishments, incredibly well compensated, both family men. And yet, you know, Lasseter, even today, you know, lives under a cloud because of what he was accused of when he was in charge of Pixar. And um, I, I don't know. It's, it's always interesting in, in a situation like this. You know, in fact... For me, it was fascinating to watch the stories. You know, I mean, forget Abigail Disney herself is out there talking about Kobe Bryant rapist and and the pushback that what, when she made those comments to the effect of the people who was like, look, it's too soon and have some respect for the family and that all happened. I mean, it's ancient history. It happened years ago. And, you know, I mean, forgive me for being crude here, but there's a saying that death is the ultimate disinfectant. You know, I mean, right. it's it's. You know, think about it. You know, the Michael Jackson story from 93, when the first set of accusations came up out about him and young boys through 2009. I mean, you know, the King of Pop, which, by the way, that's the nickname he gave himself. Yes. Uh, kind of similar to Kobe tried to get people to call him the Black Mamba and later Vino. Uh, but but Jackson, both his you know, personal associations and professional standing it really suffered. But when he passed in, in June of 2009, all that changed. Hell, there was that uh, Michael Jackson, This Is It documentary, the concert film thing that 
that Kenny Ortega was able to cobble together just from the concert footage and the stuff that, that the rehearsal footage that they'd done. Um, that to this day, Drew, that's still the highest grossing documentary concert film of all time. It, it made oh wow $261 million. And it was out in theaters four months after his death. And then after that, we got the, the Cirque du Soleil show, touring show, the, the Immortal World Tour uh, that, that launched in October of 2011. And on the heels of that was the sit-down production in Vegas of Michael Jackson 1. Uh, that launched in, in May of 2013. It's still playing. And you and I have talked about on on the show, Bubbles, the, the stop-motion thing that Taika Waititi was supposed to make for Netflix that right. only just recently got shut down because... Again, on the heels of uh, Me Too, suddenly it, he became radioactive again. In fact, what was kind of interesting is in that same window of time, the Michael Jackson musical that was headed to Broadway. I mean, they, they'd already made arrangements to have the out-of-town tryout at, at a theater in Chicago, and they hit the brakes. And in fact, that project has just started up again, only now figuring, well, this will help, but, you know, eliminate the controversy. The new title of the show is just MJ. Yeah. Oh, who could that be about? Well, let me tell you, I was shocked with how many people were dressed as both Michael Jackson, uh, some questionably, and also had a lot of Captain EO merchandise on during 80s night. Wow. Which to me is just like, come on. Especially after that amazing documentary last year on HBO. Yeah. I, you know, it was it's tough. You know, we we made the decision not to have any Michael Jackson played at our wedding because we didn't want any kind of association or, you know, we didn't want anybody triggered. And and, you know, it's it's tough. You got to make these decisions. But, you know, but, you know, for me, what's weird is how this all got started. I mean, if you want to be completely honest, if, if you were looking for kind of an inciting event for me to. Did you ever get to see that Hannibal Buress viral video where he's talking about Bill Cosby on stage? Yes. And, and the weird thing is that there had been these allegations for years. In fact, that's why he makes a joke that he jokes. It's like, this is America's dad who, by the way, you know, slipped pills to women and, and took advantage of them. And, and for a lot of folks, that's where it started. The shift away from... You know, the sort of pattern for when celebrities would slip up that, you know, there'd be all this negative coverage and then they'd go and tearfully talk with Barbara Walters and somehow that w would make it all right again and they could go back to work. And it, but but again, that kind of changed when TMZ came on the, the landscape in November of 2005. And, uh, you know, think about it, you know, Kobe's problems all started in 2003 or, or for that matter, you know, think about if Robert Downey Jr. had had done, you know, the whole passing out in his neighbor's bedroom. You know, that happened in 96 before there was, you know, this sort of social media, you know, we all get to sort of pile on. And face it, we live in a different world right now. I mean, Charlie Sheen did the, the Tiger's Blood thing back in, what, two, February of 2011. And, you know, I, I know he did the anger management show, but his career's never really recovered from that. Right. And it, it's been kind of interesting just this past weekend. I don't know if you saw that the Amber Heard story broke about, uh, you know, she admitted that she occasionally or when provoked punched Johnny Depp during their, their domestic situation. But since the divorce filing in, in 2016... Uh, his career's been in the toilet. And, you know, that's really tough for Disney because they envisioned Pirates being a franchise that would go on for years. And, in fact, I don't know if you saw the weird rumor that's making the rounds now about a a Zac Efron Pirates prequel that, that may be made for, for Disney+. Plus. That sounds uh, that sounds questionable, but, yeah. I, 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 I agree. <laughs> I I don't know if you, you saw the story about those folks back in December where I guess 5% of the rumors they put out there were, uh, you know, approved. Oh, yeah. You know, that that's face it, they are definitely part of the food chain. Anyway, to, to get back to the Bojack, to give you a sense of how up-to-date and right-to-the-minute 
that show is the, again third episode in fact the same episode with the the eisner reference this is episode 14 called angela and the thing is that Bojack goes to the home of a, a former television executive who actually worked on his show, Horse and Around. And what they're talking about doing is because his, he's so toxic right now that they can't release the show. They had actually remastered the show. They had shot interviews and they were all ready to launch it on Blu-ray. But now, you know, he's toxic, so they can't do anything. So what they're, they're doing is they brought him there to sign a deal whereby he would allow the studio to cut the Bojack character entirely out of his sitcom horse and round. And so they would launch a new eight to 10 minute long show called around that would just be built around the kids in the house. And the weird thing of it is, is as stupid as that sounds, You've been following what's going on with the launch of Quibi, right? The the Oh yeah. Speaking of Quibi, there's gonna be a big present Quibi presence at the Super Bowl tonight. So get ready for that, Jim. So okay, now a reason to watch. But it, Quibi is built on the back of all content is gonna be what? Eight to ten minutes long. Yeah. And just to sort of bring things full circle here and how long do you suppose it's gonna be before somebody actually proposes Doing this with the Cosby show, <laughs> you know, just literally, <laughs> you know, go in and oh just sort of God. take Bill out of the show and we'll just end up with eight to 10 minute long chunks of something called the show. So, um, oh, 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 speaking of, of new short content, though, that doubling back to Disney Plus just uh, this Friday, uh, January 31st, they started showing Lamp Life, uh, which I, I'm assuming you saw at the... Toy Story 4 junket? No, I, I didn't see it until a few weeks ago, but I, oh. I I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah. Now, this is uh, Valerie LaPointe. She, she directed it? Yeah, she was the head of, I think she was head of story or something yeah. on Toy Story 4, yeah. Yeah, so the, the idea is that it fills in what happened to Bo between when we, we saw her in the driveway with, with Woody and, and when they run into each other again at the fair. It's a fun short. It, it still has the good design of the, the film overall. I mean, I, I have to admit, I'm still not there with Ford. I feel like they earned the moment with Buzz and Woody up on top of the, uh, the roof of the RV to the effect of she'll be fine. I mean, I, I feel like that lands, that's good, that's strong. It's such a frantic film, you know? Yes. Yes. I I, pre- I love it, though. I think once it's on Disney Plus and you can watch it any old time you want when you're looking for something weird, you know, you'll you'll get there. But I love it. It's such a beautiful looking movie, too. No, no, no. no. Don't get me wrong. There are individual frames of this thing you can hang on a wall. They're, they're that pretty. I just feel like from a story point of view, it just, it's strained. You know, mm-hmm. just sort of, I can't say that about uh toy story the original toy story or toy story 2 or toy story 3 whereas this time there there was just kind of a feeling of maybe we're going back to the well once too often but right um oh speaking of going back mark this in your calendars folks satoshi khan's tokyo godfather which uh, by the way if you've never seen it this is a wonderful piece of anime from 2003 it's a, a story that involves three homeless people who discover a newborn baby while rooting around in the garbage on Christmas Eve. And it's this terrific holiday feel-good movie. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's it's coming back to theaters, thanks to the folks at Phantom Events. Uh, subtitle version is being screened on March 9th, whereas the dub version is on March 11th. And honestly, I, I, my only complaint here, uh, only regret, is it. If and it's supposedly a newly restored version of, of this film, I just wish that they had brought it out during the holiday season because it, it would be a better fit. But I'll tell you what, if you, you're interested in going to see it, head over to the Fathom Events site uh, to see if there's a theater near you uh, showing again Tokyo Godfather's beginning of, of next month. And speaking of, of marking their calendars, uh, you know, obviously. You have been doing some very cool stuff with the Light Diffuse show lately. In fact, can we talk about who you just recorded an interview with? Yeah, we recorded an interview with John Knoll, who is a le- genuine legend, I would say. Would you say that, Jim, in the visual effects oh, no, no, community? No, no, no. no I, absolutely. In fact, I, I was lucky enough 
a couple of times when the Visual Effects Society would do their weekend-long symposiums, and John has worked on so many amazing films. He has miles and miles and miles of stories, yes. which is why yeah. I just can't imagine what he shared with you in regards oh, yeah. to the Mission Impossible movies. Some stuff that we genuinely had never heard before and blew our minds. So, yeah, because he's one of the few uh, department heads that's been the head of visual effects for two separate Mission Impossibles. He was the visual effects head on the first one, so he did the amazing train chase at the end, and then <sighs> also on Brad Bird's fourth movie. So he did, you know the Dubai sequence and all this other crazy stuff. So, yeah. Oh, I oh, I it's awesome. To... It's it's a great conversation. We we actually had another great chat with the guy named David James who was the on-set photographer for 3, 4, 5 and 6. So, he also had some genuinely crazy stories. So, yeah. And then there was the news this weekend that Henry Cerny is coming back. Kittredge from the first movie will be in 7 and 8. It's huge, huge, Jim. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how that piece fits in the puzzle. Yeah. So, no, no, no. That that these getting more and more interesting. Yes. I, you know, uh, just just promise me if they're going to be better than F9. <laughs> That'll make more sense than F9. Let me tell oh, you. Oh. Okay, I'm just hoping for the Henry thing, okay? Right, <laughs> right. All right. Meanwhile, Jim Hill Media, got a bunch of podcasts over here as well. We got Disney Dish with Lentesto. We got Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. We have the Marvel Us Disney podcast with Aaron Adams, the gentleman who does a lot of editing here. Uh, we have the I Want That, uh, which is about Disney merch with Michelle Valladolid. And then, of course, we have Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z, your Drew's good, close, personal friend. Eh. Um, <laughs> not go, let's not go crazy. Okay. All right. Well, we'll tell you what, folks. Hmm? No, no. I just, you know, anytime I can rib Dan, I, I give it to him. But no, he's doing great work over there. A lot of Lucasfilm stuff to talk about these days, I'm sure. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, folks, uh, if you could do Drew and I have a favor and head over to iTunes and rate and recommend not only this show, Fine Tuning, but also Light the Fuse, uh, that would certainly help us get us additional ears and eyeballs. If you really, really like what you heard here today, if you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be great. Likewise, you can find both Drew and I on Twitter and Instagram. Are you on Facebook as well, Drew? Or? Yeah, but not as much. Uh, but yeah. Okay, well, well, we'll look for us there, folks. And I guess we will be putting together another new show sometime in the coming week. So until then, thanks for listening, folks. And Drew and I will be back soon.